This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai. There's joy in every journey. It's time to take command with former NFL tight end Logan Paulson and former Commander's Beat reporter Craig Hoffman. Welcome in to Take Command. I'm Craig Hoffman. That is Logan Paulson. I talk into microphones every day on the Team 980. I used to cover the team as a beat reporter. He, he only played 10 years in the NFL. Ha, your resume is shorter. Take that. <laughs> Well, you do the resume, so you can make it shorter if you That's need to. That's true. That's true. Uh, accomplished analyst, Logan Paulson. Also, you can catch him on all the Commander's Breakdowns uh, on YouTube and on their social media, doing an excellent job. What you get here, though, uh, from Logan, which is unique and great, is the depth of a podcast. And so, Logan, uh, we've been exchanging film clips uh, for 48 hours, basically. Um, we've both charted a bunch of stuff. We, we've We've gone in on this game trying to diagnose – the problems on the commander's offense. Because as I said on, I think it was when I was with you on the radio yesterday, we've talked to each other in the microphones every day the last three days. Yeah. They start they start to blur a little bit. But I basically said, like, it doesn't take a genius to figure out something's not going right here, right? They scored 10 points. That's not good. Uh, but it does take uh, an elevated level of analysis to try to get into why. So as you've now done kind of your full breakdown of this game in terms of the study and charting and, and all the different things that you do, when you start to identify the problems that they've had offensively, where do you start? I mean, that's a lot. So I think the first thing that – so let's start at the highest level and then work our way down. So yeah, I think, that's, I think the, that's the best way to do it. I think in the game, this, this last game, I think penalties were a huge deal. And they were very inopportune time. And I think kind of piggybacking on, on these – because like that's, that's one of the issues. When you're running an uber-conservative game plan, and you're terrified of of Dallas's rush. Any little augmentation in how you're executing, which is a penalty, they they messed up a protection early on, which is a huge deal. Trey Turner didn't squeeze; should have squeezed, didn't do it. I think that's probably one of the reasons he gets benched. He also has a false start, right? The the groundings have been well talked about, right? Those become gigantic issues for offenses that are kind of crawling along, right? And because Again, like we, we've talked about this at nauseum on this podcast, but when you don't generate big plays, it's very hard to kind of have these long sustained drives. And I think that was on full display. And the penalties is one of those issues, right? Now, I obviously like I'm not saying anything revolutionary there. There's there's you come to this podcast for more nuance. So the next step, the next kind of iteration of this outside of that, like really high level, low hanging fruit type stuff is I do think there does seem to be kind of a delineation in Scott Turner's mind between pass plays and between run plays in terms of how formationally he gets to some of his stuff, right? And from a personnel standpoint, like if Bates is in the game in 11 personnel, it's probably a run. If Armani's in the game in uh, 11 personnel, it's probably a run. If 
Cam Sims and De'Ami Brown are in the game, it's also probably a run, right? And so I think they have these tells, right? And then also there's a body language issue, right? Logan Thomas lines up in a two-point receiver stance when it's a pass, and then he kind of, when he's running a route from like an attached position and he's and his hands off the ground, he's a little bit higher with his pads, and there's a nice kind of clear, again, just from a personnel body type standpoint. That's... I think that's in Scott's control. I think that's in the offense's control, like to get that all kind of hashed out and identify these tendencies. I also think the formations look different, right? When they want to run the ball, everything gets a little bit tighter. Receivers, tight ends, they get a little bit closer. And the reason that is, is because they have to block safeties. They have to block these run fit players, right? So even that, like when you're just buzzing the clip, I think I sent you a video, Craig, where I just went through the clips, like, is this a runner or pass? Is this a runner or pass? And, I want to say we got to like play 17 doing that. Yeah. We and, did. and it wasn't, and they were all like, you, you, you whatever you thought when you saw it, run or pass, yep. it was a run or a pass. Yep. So again, and the same thing is true with like how they use pre snap motion. You know, like it was, I, I'd have to pull up my chart, which I probably should have done because like we're using, <laughs> we're doing the podcast. So I'll pull this up in a second. But like the first like eight or nine times they put guys in motion, it's, it's run. Yeah. And you just get to the point where if I'm charting that, as an analyst after the game and i'm like motion yes result run motion yes result run it's like oh they're probably gonna run it hey guys uh 85 of the time when they run it and like you know pro football focus or whatever other analytics they have like they don't even have to chart that stuff they can they can look it up and they probably get a spreadsheet each week that says if this then that if john bates is in the game it's run whatever percent of the time and like I think it's important to say there's good reasons why you do these things. Like John Bates being in the game as a run blocker is a good thing because he's the best run blocker on the team from the tight end position. So it's not like that you you want to then all of a sudden be like, oh, well, we got to trick him all the time. Every time John Bates is in, haha, we're passing now. No, it's it's tendency breaking enough and not being predictable enough that teams have to play you honest. That if they try to lock in on one phase of what you're doing based off a of tell, that they're going to be wrong just often enough that they won't actually play the guessing game in the first place. I, I totally agree. And like, you know, I was in John Bates's role for a lot of teams. And like one of the things that Scott did a good job, because like, we're going to talk about this more in the second block, but I do think that like there's all of these kind of high level criticisms of this offense, not even high level. These are nuanced criticisms, nuanced criticisms of this, of this offense. But the crazy thing is, is there are throws and there are opportunities in this offense to get plays. And I think that's something we got to like, we'll talk about more as we go, but just to kind of tease the next block, like even though there are these kind of tells, like there are open throws and the quarterback isn't always facilitating them, but I I will say, yeah, like, you know, Bates in the game, like that's a very common thing, right. But you know, they, they run play pass with Bates in the game, all those types of things. And I think the other thing that sticks out to me, again, my background is, is very specific in this regard is when you're running a play pass, like let's sell the run, you know, Let's sell the run. I think like the first play pass of the game, uh, if I remember correctly, they every run out of 12, so two tight ends or 13, three tight ends. Which they only ran once in the entire game, I believe. Yeah, which was but it was on the first drive. Yep. It it's from under center. And then all of a sudden you're in 12 and then you're in gun and you expect the defense to kind of abide by this thing, like the, the illusion that you're running the football. Like obviously you've shown on this drive that you want to run the football from under center because it allows you you to attack both sides of the formation. Now you get in the gun and you haven't run a single gun run out of that personnel grouping. So 
you better believe those guys are rushing the passer. Like there wasn't, and it's like this soft fake. It's like this long languid fake across the ball. Now they did. I think they did identify that to their credit. And then McKissick's long run is off of a gun run, right? It's out of 11 personnel. They did some stuff with the personnel groupings. I think Bates is in the game and it leads to a big play. And I think part of that is because they had set this standard early and then they kind of subverted that. Right. And so I think that's, again, I think that's good offensive play calling and a right. good way to use your tendencies against the, the, the them. You start noticing something on the tablets that, wow, they're really loading up. We got something yeah. here. You yeah. go to it. Like that's that when people talk about in-game adjustments, a lot of people, I don't know what people think they are, but I feel like they just say it to make think they sound smart. <laughs> but like that is an example of an in-game adjustment. It's not like, wow, our run pass disparity went from 60-40 to 40-60. It's like, mm-hmm. no, we saw something on the tablet that when we're in this personnel grouping, and this is why a lot of times early in games you see so much creativity from teams because you want to throw a bunch of stuff. Like the, the reason teams script their first 15 plays is it allows them to kind of control all right, we're going to use a bunch of different formations. I'm not going to get in the heat of the moment and all of a sudden get into one thing. We're going to make sure that we throw some different looks at them, some different personnel groupings, and that's going to give us information because not only do we think these plays are going to work, but we're going to see how they match it. And then depending on how they react, we know the things that we like and the things that we don't. If they match things in a certain way and we're like, that's advantage them, we're not going back to that. Sure. But you also, throughout the course of that, you continually get more information and if they do something that you think you can take advantage of, such as they overload certain things or they start to get super aggressive when you're in shotgun, you run a draw play, and now all of a sudden you're out and you got a 30-yard gain, and, and that's good coaching. Like That is what it means to make an adjustment. And sometimes it's not really an adjustment. It's like a one-play counter. Sure. Um, but it also it also then, the adjustment is it slows their pass rush down because now they know that they can't just do that. So like yeah. that's really what an in-game adjustment is, and that's, that's a, such a good example of it. Yeah, and I feel like after you know, like after that, then they were like into more gun runs, and I think they just they felt a little bit more, uh, a little bit less predictable, right? And I think that's something that sticks out to me is again like that the the formation thing for the for the listeners for the fans is a big deal. Tight versus runs, spread out versus passes. Like I I would like them to exploit the tight person the tight formations to kind of help create confusion in the defense. Now I've heard through talking with with people earlier this week that one of the reasons they went spread out is they wanted to make it easier for Carson to identify blitzers and coverages, which is one of the advantages to spreading out. But I also think that you need to be able to operate within both, right? And if if you're worried about him identifying coverage, that's why you have motions, right? That's why you can kind of, like everyone thinks motion pre-snap. Again, that's a very valuable tool, but also just unusual formations. Like if you put the tight end to the left and then three receivers to the right, defensively, I cannot leave a corner to the offensive left because I have three receivers to the right. So I will dictate some type of response that says we're in man coverage because both both corners are over here, right? That's like a simple like right. simple version, but there are other ways to get there. And so I think that's something, I, I again, I'd like to see. I'd like to see them push that a little bit more. Um, you know, and I mentioned this already, like despite some of these issues, they did some good stuff that, that doesn't get actualized because the quarterback doesn't see it. Uh, the other thing I think um, that that really sticks out to me, the more football that I watch, the, two things. So first thing is the inability of this offense to attack the middle of the defense. Like that really jumps Huge out issue. to me. And, and I think it becomes, sorry to cut you off just real no. quick, Logan. I think this gets underscored when you watch the rest of the league sure. and you watch the frequency with which the best offenses, the best quarterbacks attack the middle of the field relentlessly. 
Um, you know, the Rams didn't wind up ultimately getting a ton of production Monday night, but the way they do it, the way the 49ers who did get a ton of production, the way they do it, um, obviously the Chiefs, the Bucks, like Rodgers, is he starting to get going and, and cooking in Green Bay with their young receivers? Like, do they get some big stuff to the outside? Sure. But, like, when they need to have it, like Randall Cobb over the middle since 2012 or whatever it's been, like, right. you know, that that's still there. And when you watch good offense in the NFL, the way they use the entire field, but especially how much of the offense is over the middle of the field is pretty astounding compared to where Washington's production numbers are. Yeah, and that, again, like that might be that's that might be a Carson thing. He might not, you know. Again, like I, I I coach football like high school level, and our quarterback can't see the middle of the field very well, so we don't do that. If we're gonna do something to the middle of the field, it's always off a of play action or a boot, right? And that and that sounds crazy though. That's high school stuff, but that's also NFL stuff. Like Russell Wilson is notorious uh, for not being able to see the middle of the field well. So the only way they can get throws to the middle of the field is like by moving the pocket and doing crazy stuff to open windows up so we can see very well, right? So that might be a Carson thing. I don't think so, because, like, historically, that's what Scott's like to do. Also, I worry about, you know, again, this is this is a totally abstract thought here, but I, I get concerned that, um, that the terminology, the verbiage of this offense makes it, because it's numbers, it's numerical, right? So instead of me being able to call a concept and me know my rules for that concept, like, which is a West Coast thing, so can you, or yeah, yeah, so the thought and then yeah, yeah. So like, I would love but, an example though. So like what it sounds like. So like, you know, so like a number system, like nine, eight, nine, right. That means that I think it's the, I forget which way they go. It depends on the offense. Some people start with the X and go left. So nine would be the X eight would be the tight end. And then nine would be the Z. Right. And so that means like all go with a post, which is an eight. Right. right. Um, and then you say, well, how do we do that same play from a bunch? That becomes my question. If I call 989 and we're in a bunch, how does that work, right? The, do you just run 989 and then who do we have to tag the backside Y on that? Or, how, you know what I mean? So that's where, again, like I think the verbiage is because, like, for example, like in Kyle's offense, we could be in a bunch, we could be in three wide, we can be whatever. And we just say, I'll go special. And we knew out of a bunch, it was like this. And out of, you know, three by one, it was like this. And we just knew that that was that's the concept, right? And we adjusted the concept to the formation. But here you have to work your numbers to match up with the people. So maybe that becomes more difficult to get some of that. So I would ask them this. Nuance. Are you are you noticing a lot of like route concepts that look like someone's running the wrong route? Like, is that happening frequently that, that you come to that question? So the reason I ask that is because one of the things about attacking the middle of the field, it's easier to do it from tight formations. Right. And and it's and it's easier to kind of say, like, you know, this is the concept we're running. Like I just said, West Coast, like concept we're running, boom, run it. Here, I wonder if, because like, if you go through the route tree of those numbers, it's, there's not a lot of, there's like one route that attacks the middle of the field. And I think it's a mm. six. It's like a basic or an in cut, right? So right. like, how do you make sure that the inside guy runs this? Again, it just, it becomes more difficult to call it to get the matchups that you want. I, I It feels like to me, and again, I feel that way because I'm not in this offense, but that's a thought that I have when I watch it. Like, like these are very kind of vanilla route concepts, right? And maybe it's because Carson doesn't know, or it's just hard to verbalize in the language of this offense. You know, like when you speak a different language, they have different past tense, plural tense, all that stuff, like Spanish, for example. Right. And then they come to English and it's hard for them to communicate because we don't have the same tense system. There is that same kind of transfer with offensive language languages, right? So maybe that becomes more challenging. That's just a thought. The other thing that sticks out to me too about this offense, and this is an offensive line specific issue, is 
Kyle always said one of the things they pride themselves on in, in his offense is giving giving the quarterback hitches, right? So the ability to hold the ball at the top of my drop, take a hitch, take another hitch. And I thought at the time, I didn't really understand why that's significant, right? Just basically allow the quarterback to hold the ball and see the defense for a little bit longer at the top of the route. Right. Why is that significant? It's significant because 65, 70%, I forget the exact statistic, but it's high of offensive production comes off of off schedule stuff, right? So on schedule being like, it's quick game. I get to my third step balls out. Right. And when you watch, like I watched Baltimore this morning, a lot of their stuff, even play action stuff comes off of hitch, hitch, throw, right? The receivers work in the zone, works around, comes open, falls out. And so I look at this offense and one of the things, again, coming from this game, coming from the Philadelphia game is there are no hitches. There's no hitches mm -hmm. in this offense, right? And so even like, you know, let's go back to the Philly game. We talked, we broke down all those sacks. Like you remember that play where Kerry's running the corner or like the, um, yes. the big out, whatever you want to call that. Yeah. Um, Bench route, whatever. Yeah. Whatever like is. that is open. That's open right. and that's open in Pop Warner. That's open in the NFL. The thing that, that that limits that play's effectiveness is the hitches or the lack of hitches, right? He steps up and then he gets sacked. There's no opportunity for him to be like hitch, throw, right? Really set his feet and throw. So I think that's another element of the offense. So so can you then just like connect the dot though of like obviously the offensive line has to protect long enough sure. for the hitches to happen. So like is that a philosophical thing? Like how how does the hitches tie to the offensive line? Like obviously from a quarterback footwork standpoint if he's not being coached to like kind of almost hitch his way through the progression. Right. Cause sure. that's always, I've seen it too, is like you talk about marrying your feet to the read. It's like, I hit my back foot is if, if my number one's there ball is out. If not, I hitch. And as I hitch, I turn and look, and there's number two, then right. I might hitch again. And then it's number three. Like I've, I've heard of offenses. I think that's how Jay and Sean ran things. Yeah. Um, you would know better than me because it's similar to that West coast. What, what Kyle runs. Yeah. And obviously you, you played with those guys as well. Sure. Um, but how, like how does how does that because obviously the, the simpleton in me is like well it's not like the offensive line is like ah there's no hitches here so we're just not gonna block for right, longer than three right. seconds like how do those dots connect so i think one of the things like so i watched tennessee today right and mm -hmm. when you look at the pff grades for the offensive line for tennessee they're not good like they're like their tackles are poor pass protectors like they got a rookie starting he's a good athlete he's a good run player but you know he's developing as a pass protector same thing with the left tackle and so that offense, like I would take Cosme and Leno over both of those guys, right? The what they do really well is their play action game is super, super dialed in. It's incredibly dialed in. So, like, for example, they ran a play pass today and everyone is blocking the run. And instead of having the um instead of having like leave like having the tight end blocked down on like a five technique, they bring the fullback back and he cracks. So you get one, two, three, four, five offensive linemen blocking three and a blitzer, right? So, and everyone thinks it's a run. Like they're standing there, they're, they're off the, off, you know, they're kind of looking around, they're trying to find the ball. And then it's like, oh, now it's a pass. Even the tight end who's in a tough matchup, he jump sets the end, right? So the end meets him like it's a run and then looks and then transitions. So to me, that this transitional element off of a play pass, that gives you a hitch in the back end, right? Mm -hmm. That allows you to get a hitch on the top, right? And I think that, to me, that's one example of get, getting hitches in your offense. Kyle used that a lot. Roll passes, even setting up a different spot. So they'll run a play pass, and and uh, and Tannehill will do like a half roll. And so that gives you a hitch because the defensive line goes transition. Now where's the quarterback? Now let's go, right? Because he's moved. 
So right. those are hitches, right? And then the other thing is like in dropback, okay, they do a good job of getting hitches from kind of changing up the set style, right? So if it's third and three, they call a pass there. Even if they're in gun, the offensive line will jump set, right? And again, you get a response. It's like, oh, is this a run? Like, And then you get a transition. So again, coaching up those kind of nuanced approaches to get hitches in the offense or have the back chip or whatever it is, that's one way. Those are a couple ways you can find hitches for an offense. So you really, it's just about buying more time. And but, you know, yeah, that's it. Just buying more and, time and but, get, but creating, doing it in strategic ways, creating indecision for, um, for the defender, right? Like I saw the talk about a crazy way. Like I remember with, um, who was I with? Doesn't really matter. Was it with Kyle? Doesn't, doesn't matter. Doesn't matter. <laughs> Probably so, Kyle based off percentages, but whatever. So what they would do is they would call a normal route concept and they put the receivers in a tight split. And on a couple of plays, you would chip the defensive end, right? Boom. But it would kind of chip you into your route. So let's say I'm chipping down from the right side. I would just keep running across the formation. And so it didn't really affect the timing of the play, right? And yeah. so every time we lined up in those tight splits, I remember, because I, I was a, the chipper oftentimes, the end would look up at you and he would stand up in a two point and then widen out. That gives you a hitch. You know, even right. if I wasn't chipping him, he just was like, I don't want to get chipped again. So I'm going right. to stand up. I'm going to widen out. I'm going to go from a two point. My get off's not as good from a two point, And I'm a little bit wider. There's your hitch. You know, right. that's, that's a simple way to get there. Yeah. Um, and a lot of times that also the coverage guy is, might back off or lose focus because he's like, oh, this guy's blocking. Yeah, um, right. Saw it with the Rams. You do that with Higby quite a bit. Um, he caught a, I, at least one that I can remember on an out route where he comes in like inside release chip and then circles back out kind of almost uses the, uh, the T end is like a bumper car right, to ricochet right. him into his route. And you're like, that's good football. That's good <laughs> stuff right there. Um, unfortunately for the Rams, they didn't get anybody, but Higby and, and cup going on Monday night, but you know, that's a correct, <laughs> that's a correct pick for me. Yeah, another, right. another point over Haney on the Hoffman show pick. Selling a little or a lot. Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage, to the first real-life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Shopify is here to help you grow, whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits. Shopify helps you sell everywhere, from their all-in-one e-commerce platform to their in-person POS system. Wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify has got you covered. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. 15% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. And sell more with less effort thanks to Shopify Magic, your AI-powered all-star. Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the U.S. And Shopify is the global force behind Allbirds, Rothy's, and Brooklinen, and millions of other entrepreneurs of every size across 175 countries. Plus, Shopify's award-winning 24-7 help is there to support your success every step of the way. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash odyssey podcast all lowercase go to shopify.com slash odyssey podcast now to grow your business no matter what stage you're in shopify.com slash odyssey podcast get ready for the greatest roast of all time the roast of tom brady a netflix live event happening may 5th hosted by kevin hart 
the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. This is Take Command here from Odyssey Sports. I'm Craig Hoffman. That is Logan Paulson. Within the scheme, there are opportunities. Uh, you said that earlier, and you showed me some clips yesterday. I was like, oh, boy, that's, that'd be nice if that was, that was how that went, which is always a frustrating thing because you go back and you, you certainly have criticisms of play calling or this or that, but then you go back and you're like, yeah, but also if they executed, we're talking about a different ball game. So what is it specific to Carson Wentz and his execution over these last couple of games that has caused uh, the production to be extraordinarily low, specifically in the first half, 24 and 51 yards, I believe, uh, the last two first halves. Yeah, I, th- I think the thing that sticks out to me, so let's just take this. It's a very simple concept. It's called dragon. So you got a drag and then a slant by number. So number one runs a slant. So like Terry runs a slant and the slot mm-hmm. guy runs a flat. It's a right. very common concept. And I want to say they ran it like five or six times in the game. And I want to say it was open five or six times. So every time they ran it, it was open, right? It's a great concept, and it's, it works against almost every coverage. And it's simple, and it's quick. And so when you look at it, like Carson on the first one, for example, like the slant comes open. It's cover three, or it's quarters, so the middle of the field. like So basically in quarters, you get those, those four guys dropping back, and there's three guys underneath that have to match the concepts. If you run to the flat, usually that outside linebacker player runs the flat fast because that he's a flat he's got to defend the flat and then the slant is like wide open right and the slant in this look is wide open right and carson doesn't love it so he kind of pumps it resets his feet and then tries to get to the flat and i don't have a good reason as to why that is other than he's not seeing it very well and so um you know one of the things people said oh he's really good at the quick game i was not in that camp because i don't know how well he sees it you know how how well his reaction is his off of his it. production over specifically the last couple of years would suggest otherwise. Right. I don't know where people got that. Right. And I, so so that's that's one thing that sticks out. To, and so they did that again, right? So then like so they run dragon again. They cover the slant this time, and the flats wide open. And he and it's McKissick who's excellent on those flat routes because he could turn those into like a fifteen or twenty yard gain. There's space for him, and he puts it over his head because he's also late to that. So if I'm Scott, and that happened again four or five, six times, right? They never hit that concept. And it was open, like NFL open. Right. Four, five, six times, however many times I ran it. So to me, like if I'm, if I'm, if I'm Scott, I go to myself and I'm like, this is working. This concept is working. It's open. We need to hit this. Why can't we hit this? And to me that the onus there falls on Carson. Now there are variables associated with that for sure. Right? Like, He's been getting a lot of pressure. He doesn't feel comfortable. He's had a couple of slants batted down too with the line. Sure. And so, so again, that that's reasonable, right? The other one that sticks out to me just in terms of like feedback is um is like they ran like it's third down. They're going max protection. They run three vertical routes, right? It's Tampa two. And that's the one where like they ran this twice or three times. Uh, and that's the one where if everyone remembers where um, Carson launched the ball to Terry and Terry gets kind of caught up with number six, the safety with there's Wilson. No, yeah. Yeah. There's no PI called or whatever. So if you go back and watch it, that's Tampa two, right? So you get Curtis Samuels running down the middle of the field with Anthony Barr trying to match him again. Like, I don't love this idea of just running guys vertical into coverage, but if I'm 
Scott, I say, look at this matchup with this guy beating the Tampa player. I don't care if I don't care if Curtis is step for step with him. He runs a four three, and Anthony Barr runs like a four five or four six. He's going to run by him, and he does. And so, if that's the if you're if you're just picking your best matchup, I'm picking that one, right? And th- that being said, that's st- that's still a tough throw. Got to push the ball down the field. All those things, right? That being said, the defense drops out of that, right? And we've talked about just checking the football down. Both the tight end they didn't blitz. Dallas didn't blitz on this play. The tight end and the back are wide open in the flat. Like mm-hmm. wide open. There's not anyone near them within probably 10, maybe 12 yards. You hit the ball to them, and I don't agree with the concept, the route that they ran there. They're probably just getting to space, right? But if you get the ball there, you get a blocker in the flat. You get maybe if you run the different, like I, what I call a check M. So basically, like once you get protection, you run vertical as opposed to the flat, and you get the ball to, the, to that check M player, and he can just split the defense maybe for a first down. And so to me, if I'm Scott, I say like, yeah, is this the best concept in the world? This is, again, one of those limitations. I challenge you. This is a fun game for listeners, right? Three-man route combinations versus cover two and cover three. Can you drop a route that gets open versus those concepts? It's very, very challenging. That's one of right. the issues of being in, in, in max protection, right? But despite that, they found an opportunity with Curtis on a middle linebacker, and they've got enough space for the back or the tight end to get a first down potentially, right? I'm not saying it's going to happen, but potentially. Yeah. And you launch it to Terry, who's in double coverage, essentially. So I don't know what the read is there, but based on matchups and based on the coverages that they like to run in third long situations, I'm like, I am going to look to Terry and I'm going to throw the ball to Curtis because he's got the best matchup here, right? And if it don't, if I don't like it, I'm going to check the ball down. So And Carson might say like, hey, I like Terry one-on-one with the safety too. And it's like, same. But I like Curtis on a linebacker more. Right. And and again, I think it's people need to understand the coverage. It's cover two. So there's someone carrying underneath Terry and the safety's over the top. Like there's no way Terry can run by a guy who's 20 yards downfield. Like it's just, right. I know Terry's fast and good at the deep ball. Like it's a low percentage throw compared to the other. Throw, totally. Is what I'm saying. So, and they ran that, they came back to that concept. They ran it again. And again, they did a similar, like he took a shot and I understand that. And I don't know what they're coaching him to do. But there's there's six plays right there because they ran the 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 goes twice out of max protection and they ran right. the dragon concepts four or five six times whatever it is so let's say six to eight plays that were not executed effectively and left yards in the passing game on the field specifically right yep and so this is where I'm like aha aha because on Sunday night's pod you uh, were like look man you can't have it all right you can't you can't have Curtis wanting the ball more and Terry wanting the ball more. And like, eventually you have to pick. And I'm like, yes, but also no. Because if if Carson just makes the throws that are available, Terry doesn't right. wind up with two catches. Yes. And, that, and that's yes. kind of my thing is like, yeah, if you execute, then obviously you're going to run more plays and like you will get more opportunities. We saw that against Jacksonville. Part of the reason the ball distribution is so good is because they wind up running a ton of plays in that game. But it's also like, if I'm Scott and I'm getting all this heat in the press from doofuses like me talking in a microphone saying like, buddy, you got to get the ball to Terry McLaurin more. And, I, and you know, where are the slant routes? And if I'm Scott, I'm like, they're right there. <laughs> <laughs> Carson, please help, help me help you help us. Right, right. right? And that's, that's kind of thing. Like, do I think that they did a bad job of getting Curtis, his touches that are kind of unique to him on Sunday? Yeah, I, I do. I think that, he should be getting four to five carries every single game, whether it is as a straight running back, 
whether it's on jet sweeps. Like, I think Curtis Samuel as a running, like a ball carrier, I will call it, because it doesn't always have to be as a straight running back, is something that this offense has that is a weapon and should be used. So there's that element aside where I would take some of the carries away from, like, J.D. McKissick and give them to Curtis Samuel. That's a personal choice. That's me. But I also think that some of the screens and some of the other stuff, they can seemingly get the ball to Curtis on on one-man shows. Like, I would like to see that more. But for the other guys, and now they got to figure out even more on how to do some of this stuff because they they lose the weapon of Jahan Dotson for a week or two with his hamstring injury, um, potentially. Like, with Terry... There's just got to be ways to get him the football, but eventually it can't just be on the play caller. Like the quarterback has to make the right decisions of when to throw to Terry. Yes, I understand. And this is, I guess, sorry, this is getting a little rambly, but I, no, I'm going to land the good. plane now. It's good. Right. I feel like everyone has their box. And what's frustrating about the offense, and you can speak to whether this is a Scott or a Carson, because I have a feeling it, it honestly leans a little bit more towards Carson and comfort level, is. They don't want to, or he doesn't want to, throw to anybody outside their box. Mm. Terry's the deep guy. Jahan's the red zone guy. Curtis is the gadget in-between guy. Logan and JD are check-down guys. Antonio's the throw-it-to-him-when-they-tell-me-to-on-the-screen guy. Mm-hmm. Like, the what's so magical about this offense, if, it, if it's used to its max potential, is how versatile and interchangeable the parts are. And instead, what's happened is everybody's gotten siloed. And I'm curious when you watch it, do you see the opportunities there for these players to do other things and the co- and the quarterback isn't comfortable throwing to them outside of their role, so to speak, as I just defined them, or is the coordinator not doing a good job and the staff not doing a good job of mixing and matching and using some of the versatility that's available? Well, I think it's hard to say that, give a definitive answer there because sure. the offense has been poor. Right. So you don't know. Like the touches they are getting are very specific, but maybe that's like maybe obviously they, if there's I mean, more plays, they can get more. Right. But it is kind of frustrating to know, like, oh, look, they're in the red zone. There's Jahan Dotson scoring a touchdown. That's great. But like, where is he between the 20s? Again, I think the so this is an interesting thought. Um, I've had I've been kicking around this thought since week one. And one of the things that sticks out to me is that when you watch and when you watch Carson in passing situations, he tends to look to Jahan first, right? And him looking to Terry this week, you can tell that was like a point of emphasis because he didn't, he does not, like, I think a perfect example is, you know, the ball that he throws to Jahan at the end of the half, it gets intercepted by Diggs. You remember that? Uh, Yes. Right? Yes. Intercepted. Deep ball. Deep ball, deep left ball. sideline, looks like Diggs ran the route for him. When, he did. Yeah, when Carson needs a blanket, he's going to throw it there. Because if he just looks at the match on the other side, A, Stefan Diggs is not on that side. And B, Terry's in a good, a much better matchup. And burns the hell out of his guy right so i look at that and i say to myself that comfort level with jahan was cultivated during otas mm-hmm. right and that that's been throughout like that's been throughout training camp the ota period preseason practices and this i think is where it becomes problematic because he does not have that same level of comfort with terry all the time you know what i'm saying and and i think that's a big deal curtis didn't practice right a ton during OTAs because of the groin. And then he practiced more in training camp, but not every day. And so you, I think like in Carson's mind, I'm not sure he has the comfort level with those receivers that allow him to kind of do what you're talking about and get the ball to people outside of their specific niches, if that makes sense. So that's something that um, I've been kicking around for a while. And every week it kind of 
gets louder and louder in my head. And finally, now I have to say it out loud. Um, You're but, welcome. Yeah. So, so I think that to me is maybe the bigger issue. So it'll be really interesting to see what the offense looks like without Jahan. Right. Um, but I, I do think that's part of it, right? And I also think um, the way this offense is utilizes guys, it's not the same way that like Sean did when I was here with him, right? Where it's like we got to get these plays called for this guy in this situation, this formation, right? It's very like call it and run it, you know, and we're going to rely on the quarterback to make good decisions and get like most offenses do, but there's not that extra. It doesn't appear to be that extra level of game planning nuance. And that's fine. A lot of, a lot of teams are very successful that way. But I think that leads you to these kind of very specific situations because you're like, oh, I called this play. Let's make sure Curtis is in on this one to the receiver coach so that he can catch this screen or whatever. And it kind of it just because you're just calling the offense, you're not game planning specific touches. It, it feels like to me that's what happens is you're like, oh, get 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 him in on this because he's good at this. Get him in on the go. Get Terry in on the go because he's good at the go or get Jahan in on the red zone because right. he's good at this. Right. And that's that's kind of what, what ends up happening. Right. And you see a lot more of that early in, I'm going to call it early in situations, right? Like early in the game, you see some of that, like, hey, we got to get the screen to Terry. Like they, everyone's screaming all week. And like, clearly we as a self-scouter, like we didn't get the ball to Terry enough. So you see a screen on the first drive to Terry McLaurin. The second they get in the red zone, they run their best red zone play and Jahan Dotson scores a touchdown. I'm like, that's great. But you have to be able to get to that stuff more consistently. Yeah. It can't just be the first time one and done. And that feels like a lot of what this offense is right now. And as you said, if Jahan's not there, that's going to be interesting. And just real quick, like I am not a psychologist, but I've read a little bit about certain stuff. And like the idea of safety from a psychology standpoint is incredibly powerful. And so to your point, like if Carson feels safe on certain throws to certain receivers, it makes sense that he would go there. Um, he's got to expand his safety zone. He's got to he's got to learn that. Um, and not, not learn because that makes it seem like he's a child and I don't mean to be pejorative in that way. Um, but he's got to, he's got to get comfortable sure. and either get more comfortable with some of those guys in their situations or get more comfortable with taking risks in areas where he's not fully comfortable. Otherwise this offense is not going to reach its maximum potential. I, I mean, I, I agree. I think, I think that's when coming out of the Dallas game and I, there were, Again, like there was kind of whispers of this against Philadelphia that was covered up by the sack issue, which became the main storyline. But it's it's how well is Carson seeing and executing this offense? You know what I mean? And I think there, you know, Ron has come out. I think in his press room was like, you know, he's not he's not as comfortable as we'd like him to be. And that's him kind of affirming that notion, right? Yeah. You know, that that he's not doing as well as everyone hoped. And so I think that's something that um that fans need to think about the staff needs to think about is how do you find ways to get him more comfortable and you know i've heard you know like they have um scott's dad come in and he's been able to kind of tweak certain things about the offense to fit carson more like you know maybe that needs to happen again i don't know but that, yeah. that that's that's something that i think is going to be interesting to watch moving forward is carson's comfort level and i will say i know we're not previewing tennessee this week or just yet or we'll do that later in the week but right. Tennessee feels like a much better offensive matchup for Washington. And what I mean by that is like, they don't have like, they have, they have some good players uh, that Sim Jeffrey Simmons and then Autry has been a very productive as a pass rusher, but they don't have Micah Parsons. They don't have Armstrong. They don't have Lawrence. They don't, you know, it's, it's a different defensive group with kind of a, a patchwork secondary behind it. So if any week is right for Carson, it's, you're going to be able to get hitches this week, I think. And yeah. I think that'll help Carson kind of be more comfortable and distribute the ball much more like we saw week one against Jacksonville. 
Yeah, I, I think the fear is that it's not actually comfort, and this is just kind of who he is. Because yeah. production-wise, the last couple of years, it's, it's who he's been. I think we'll have a much cleaner answer on that 10 days from now, uh, or nine days, eight days at this point from now, um, when the pod comes out, because we'll have two more games worth of data. Uh, you'll have Tennessee, you'll have Chicago. And at that point, like if he still is not growing and there's not signs that it's turning, like then we start to have different conversations about what this season's going to look like. But um, the reality is, like, I, it doesn't look good right now. It, do I have a lot of hope? If people have listened to me on the radio, the answers they know the answer. Like, I don't have a lot of faith that they'll really turn this around. But I also am like, I'm not dumb or blind to the fact that in eight days they could be three and three, and maybe Carson's more comfortable, and John's back, and Chase is back, and Robinson makes a difference, and like the season looks different. So we'll see eight days from now. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hey, it's Greg Hoffman from Take Command. It's not just a podcast. It's the 25th hour of your debt, your weekly source for all things commanders, right on time, your time. A list of household chores. Do them without missing a beat and listen while you work. In the car, turn mundane drives into memorable moments. With podcasts, you can maximize productivity and minimize FOMO. We're on demand, so we fit perfectly into your schedule. Follow Take Command in the Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcasts. Take Command podcast here from Odyssey Sports. Defensively, uh, they will not get Chase Young back this week. The offense will get Brian Robinson. We'll talk about the impact on that on Friday's show. Um, Defensively, as you watch the tape, what do you take out of the performance against Dallas? Um, Long stretches of good football, critical mistakes obviously bite them in the butt again. Yeah, I mean, I think I think on the whole, like I just did a breakdown. Uh, it's on uh, it's on YouTube on the what is that the the command, the command center? center and, yeah, yeah, just search search the commanders YouTube page. You're welcome, and, commanders. Don't say I never did nothing nice for you. <laughs> right, and uh, I was just blown away by how hard that team played the the, the defensive side of the ball. I mean, they just they just played super hard against the run. I mean, what is it, sixty two yards rushing for Zeke and Pollard, under two yard like two yards a carry or whatever it is like that group came and basically said, you will not run the football on us. And John played great. Payne played great. Ridgeway did a great job. F.A. Obata, Casey Tuhill, James Smith-Williams. That front just basically was like they played with their hair on fire. Jamin, Cole, Cam, everyone, Forrest had an excellent couple run fits early on in the game. And you just see the passion that they're playing with, the energy. Um, And that, to me, is is good because you can build off of that, right? Obviously – much like the offense, the penalty, specifically the pass interference stuff was catastrophic really for this group. You know, like they, the, you know, the first drive that Dallas goes on, it's a long drive. It's after Benjamin St. Juice gets an interception on what I kind of view as a relatively questionable pass interference call. Like, is it a pass interference? Yes. Yeah, it was like, a penalty. But like sometimes they don't call that because it's incidental or whatever. You know what I'm saying? Sure. And then the other thing that kind of was frustrating about that is – is that throw was so underthrown, like the the pass interference was irrelevant. 
You know what I mean? Right. I mean, the same is true. Like the the penalty they call when they called it on St. Jude's, they meant to call it on Jackson on the other interception, yes, yeah. which is just such great recognition by Cam Curl. Like shout yeah. out Cam Curl on that one because he realizes the matchup that Dallas sees is uh, who was it Pollard? Jamin. Uh, Jamin uh, yeah, but it was on on Jamin. Whoever it was, it was like oh, we've got our matchup. We're going to throw this deep ball down the sideline. And Cam Curl's like, I know you are, and I'm going to go take it. And he did. Um, and the the hold that gets called on Jackson has nothing to do with the play. Mm. It's also absolutely a penalty. Yeah. And that's the kind yeah. of thing is like you just have to be better than that defensively because you don't know what's going to happen ultimately on a play. Like, don't take yourself out of a play and the chance to make a great play by doing something dumb early in the down. Yeah. And and like grabbing a guy up by the shoulder pads where his head's under your armpit, like that's gonna get called every time. You got you gotta prevent that from happening by being in better position, anticipating better, whatever it is that caused him to get in that position. Don't do that thing. Well, I think the other thing with him is uh, yeah, that, that penalty like was maddening because it's on an out route, it's off a quick game. It's like it doesn't it doesn't need to be that. You know what I mean? No. It doesn't need to be like I understand if you're getting beat deep and you wanna even the one where he did get kind of beat, like he's in phase with the guy. He doesn't right. need to grab him. Like right. He doesn't need to do that. And I think that's, again, as Rod like, said post game, like we need him to calm down. Yeah, I, I agree. I mean, that's like when I see people getting penalties like that, they're just not, they're, they're, they're trying too hard. You know, like when offensive linemen are getting a whole bunch of holding calls, they're trying too hard to win. They're not using the right technique. Like I, I went through phases like that too, so I can totally relate. But yeah. Um, but I think, yeah, that to me, that that was the the huge, the huge thing. You know what I mean? That was the biggest element for them. You know, everyone talks about that that drive where CD Lamb catches three passes in a row for like seventy yards or whatever. Like they wound up getting a stop on that drive. Yeah, like they did a good job outside of the penalties. Like once the penalties happened, I think it was like a, I forget the exact sequencing, but it was like it's fifteen to ten. They come out and then it's like three consecutive huge penalties right if there's right. That, is that right and then like they end up getting a touchdown or a field goal off of that or something whatever it is and that to me that was the the, the story of the game because it kind of negates all the hard work it negates the great coverage it negates the great anticipation that they'd put in up into that point and i think that to me when i look at the defense like like when you watch play for play it's like man this is pretty dang good and then yeah. you realize that there's it's that handful of bad plays that really just wreck the game Totally. Uh, the other thing that concerns me to wrap up uh, the pod here on the defensive side is the lack of fear in taking shots against this defense. Because to me, it speaks to two things. One, they don't think the secondary is going to be a problem. They're not going to pick it off, and they're, it's either probably going to be an incompletion, a penalty, or a completion. And right. we like we like those outcomes as an offense. So we're going to ch- – I mean, to salt the game away – Kellen Moore's like, let's chuck it. Hey, right. go routes. They're going to stack the box, try to stop the run because they think we're going to run out. And we are so unafraid of their ability to defend this. We're just going to send CeeDee Lamb on a bunch of go routes. And it worked. Um, they get the last PI on Jackson. He does make a good play. But, like, they salt the game away in part because they take the top off on multiple plays on that drive. Then that also, to me, though, says – we're not really scared of your pass rush either. And that to me has been as great and as hard as that front played and as amazingly well as they've done against the run the last two weeks. They have not been impactful from a rushing standpoint in terms of at least getting to sacks. And I know they might have some QB hits and some pressures, but like everybody gets those. That's the league. The league is always throwing the ball right before the quarterback gets hit. The best defenses elevate because they actually get home before the ball gets out. And with Sweat not having a sack yet this year, 
Allen and Payne have done a good job of pushing the pocket. They've each got some sacks, um, but we haven't really seen sacks from the other end spot either. Um, Blitzers have had limited success. Jamin's got a couple, um, but his sacks even were on like scramble situations where he runs hurts Mm -hmm. down last week. You're just not getting a lot of pressure in timing. And I think that's a concerning thing. Maybe not next week necessarily or the week after considering the quarterbacks you play, but this schedule uh, has gone from one of the easiest projected in the league to they now, uh, based off current records, have the second hardest schedule in the league remaining. The Lions mm-hmm. are the only one that has a harder schedule. And so if if that's the case, you're probably playing some pretty good quarterbacks or some teams that understand how to take advantage of that kind of situation. That is like the longer-term concerning thing for me for as well as this defense has shored itself up over the last couple of weeks, that that big play potential, the thing that can undo them, is there. Yeah, so, I mean, you know, look at the two teams they've played the last two weeks. Philly's like big shot, big play type of team, right? They've got the horses. They've got the quarterback to get that done. So that, that to me, makes sense that they gave up some big plays like because every team that Philly's played has given up big sure. plays in the passing game. Um, Dallas, we knew that they liked to run play action passes and take shots. Like that was like in our scattering report last Friday or whatever we talked about. Like you got to be ready for play pass. And they lean into that. Cooper Rush did an excellent job executing. So I do think that like like we just talked about with the offense, a good play fake in the right situation mitigates pass rush, right? And so you're not going to get a ton of push in those situations. I will say that I think sacks generally tend to be a very poor indicator of defensive line performance and what i mean Mm -hmm. by that is like if you're getting pressures like sacks like you said sacks a little bit up and down like because the quarterback gets the ball out right before but if i'm getting clean wins and getting a lot of pressure that bodes well for for my production and i think when you look at this group specifically against dallas philly a little bit quieter but dallas specifically like i feel like allen had like five or six pressures in that game pain as well right they did a good job of creating pressure. I think Sweat did a nice job of creating pre- like pressures, right? Obviously, they have to finish the rush. But I do think when you look at this team, and if I'm if I'm scouting this team, I'm saying we really got to make sure we're dialed in on these matchups up front because they are creating pressure. And like it just takes one kind of extra hitch by the quarterback or a misstep by the quarterback, and those become sacks. And it's not again like Allen specifically has a ton of clean wins in pass in pass rush, right? Mm-hmm. And uh, and I think that's important for fans to understand and kind of internalize like that group is playing maybe not as well as, you know, everyone anticipated they would, which was maybe an unrealistic expectation, but they're doing a very, very good job in terms of creating pass rush and, and making pressure. So I, don't, I don't think that's the concern, but I definitely agree with you that the secondary is not putting the fear of God in anybody at this point. Right. I think when you look at when you look at the matchups, when you look at how guys are covering, when you look at all those different variables, it's, um, you know, they, I think in some cases they're doing a good job of forcing tight window throws, but you got to finish those plays at some point, right? right? You can be in tight coverage, but you got to finish. Like I look at Kendall and everyone's kind of on Kendall right now and he should be benched. He should be cut. I look at the Philly game and I think he played really, really well. He's in tight coverage the entire game. There's not a lot of space. You got to make a play and finish. And like, that's, that's not nuanced analysis by me, but that's just a fact of life. No, point. but like, that's the league. And that's kind of what I mean is like, quarterbacks making throws while under pressure is part of playing quarterback in the NFL. Yes. Like that's why you have to get home every once in a while, like cumulative hits. Like there, there's like a threshold too. We're talking layers and nuance here. If you are literally getting after the guy every single snap and you're rushing his throws, like those hits, those pressures, they matter. But if you're just like kind of every so often getting some pressures, it's sporadic. 
then quarterbacks can make throws under pressure. Um, and that's the lead. Even a guy like Cooper Rush can make throws under pressure. And these offenses are designed to get the ball out quickly, and they'll get it out just before the pressure comes because that's the way it's designed to work. And so they've got to get home often enough to change that, to knock offenses off of rhythm. Also, obviously, sacks can be turnover creation plays. Sure. Uh, sacks knock an offense off schedule. So, like, you know, in the playmaking category, interceptions and turnovers would be great, which they have not done in three straight games. Uh, but a, a sack and sacks and things like that can also be the types of things that set up those situations because now you're in third and third and long or second and long and you get off rhythm and, and you try something and that's when you get the turnover play. So um, I just think a little bit more would, would go a long way. Obviously they're, they're playing great with a, in terms of having a floor underneath them, but their ceiling would go way up. And like, this is also like if chase gets back and becomes a, an impact pass rusher, then this changes dramatically. Um, but that's kind of, I don't know, it's something that I think strikes me as part of the issue with the secondary as well, because they're constantly like they're always under threat because the pass rush isn't quite getting home enough. It's close, right. but not quite enough. Well, I also think that it does, it does affect a pass rusher's confidence when they're playing with a, with a lead. And we haven't done that at all this season outside of Jacksonville. And I look at the Jacksonville game and I don't remember, I got to look this up, but I think it was like the last seven dropbacks, like Montez had six pressures. You know oh, what yeah, I mean? He like, was incredible. So I think like giving like those, those situations, they let, they lead to a certain level of confidence for the pass rusher. And when you're kind of in the mix of a game, it's really hard to get like pure rush opportunities, quite frankly. So I, and I also think that they are restricting the defensive ends a little bit in this rush scheme. You know, there's a lot of criticism when they get higher than the quarterback. Ron's been very vocal about that, even from the preseason. Yeah. One of the Those, plays that Rush makes on Sunday uh, is, yeah. is he gets out. And so obviously, like that's a huge point of emphasis for those guys. And it does limit does limit your effectiveness. You know, like they're they're and it, it makes the defense better, but it limits your ability to consistently generate pressure. No, that's that's a really, really, really phenomenal point. Uh that's in fact where we'll close. It's it's so good. We'll use it to punctuate the podcast. Uh, if you want more from Logan, you want to see some of these breakdowns in video form, check his Instagram at Logan underscore Paulson 82 and the commander's YouTube section or YouTube page. And you can go to the film breakdowns in their command center show. Uh, we, of course, are giving it to you three days a week. Instant reaction pod on Mondays, deep dive Wednesdays, and then our preview pod on Friday. So we will see you then. And then for countdown to kickoff on Sunday. Until then, I'll see y'all on the radio on the team 980. And uh, that's it. That's all for this edition of Take Command.